2: I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, episode 56 for February MMXIII. Episode 56 is brought to you by this public service announcement. Look, the
0: storm knocked down that big wire. Hey, let's jump our bikes over it. Now, we better move it off the road. No, you better leave that power line right where it is. There's enough electricity there to fry an elephant. We didn't think it was dangerous. You'd have found out too late. Remember, never play around electrical wires or you could be playing with fire. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I.
1: Joe!
2: Batgirl, the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are April's Backroll number 19 and Birds of Prey number 19, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Mr. Whiskers had a dream, and he left the letters MB in his litter box. And so we have with us...
3: I'm really creeped out right now.
2: (laughs) For anyone that doesn't know, that is a nice little uh, Frankenweenie reference, because whenever Mr. Whiskers leaves a poop shaped in the uh, letter of someone's name, something happens to them. Uh, So MB stands for my good friend Michael Bailey. I'm excited to have him back on because we've got some Superman issues. So welcome back.
3: Thank you so much. That girl was so creepy.
2: And her wide eyes.
3: Yeah. It's just like, wow. You know you're in a Tim Burton film when you see a character like that. I felt bad for the cat until the end.
2: Oh, I did too. I, after he exploded and then turned into the, the bat creature, I was actually sad. And I'm like, oh. And then he was just evil the rest of the way. Uh, so what has been uh, new in your life with, uh, with podcasts and, and things like that?
3: Oh, wow. Um,
2: Since the last time. I, I was trying to think back to the last time that we, we met on here. I remember uh, Superman and, and Babs met in uh, Washington, D.C., but I feel like it was last year.
3: Uh, I think it was, and actually, it, it's odd that you bring that up. They, they did this uh, back issue magazine, did a Superman in the Bronze Age issue, um, and they did a, a profile on Elliot S. Magan, and one of the highlights of his era, apparently, was introducing Batman and Bat- uh, Superman and Batgirl. So, okay, I was just like, ah, oh, we, we talked about a very important
2: that moment in,
3: in the life of a writer, apparently. So, uh no, you know, just still doing from Crisis to Crisis with uh, Jeffrey Taylor, where we're talking about the post-Crisis Superman. Uh, Views from the Long Box, which is my main podcast, uh, is currently celebrating the seventy-fifth anniversary of Superman. Uh, In a a series of episodes uh, titled Superman at 75, The Persistence of a Legend, which is a very, very esoteric reference uh, to a book that came out 25 years ago. And I've got Bailey's Batman podcast is kind of not on hiatus. It's just not coming out all that often. But very soon, Donovan, Morgan Grant, and I's episodes about Mm. the Nolan Batman films. uh, Yep are going to be coming out, so I'm kind of excited about that.
2: Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of stuff about that, and it seemed like it was going to be an epic battle between two great minds.
3: I, it, 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 <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to sell it like that, because it actually didn't turn out to be much of a fight, but it did turn into a really nice like three-hour conversation on these films from two people that are coming, kind of coming at it from different... Uh, different perspectives i'm probably going to surprise some people uh with uh, some opinions i have on the various films especially especially dark knight rises mm-hmm. and bane and oh, his yes. very very poor voice which i hated throughout the entire film oh, gosh. i hated bane anyways um well, that's pretty much it. I also have a blog, Fortress of Bailey-tude, mm-hmm. which comes out once a day with uh, some Superman type thing, which is why I'm here because uh, Superman uh, meets up with Batgirl in uh, yes. two very different and um, th- th- these are both just weird stories. in, in I and would of agree. themselves.
2: Yeah, so. I, I don't think I was prepared. Well, the first one I thought I was walking. <laughs> well, the first one I thought I was. You know, I, I felt like I was walking out of a Vincent Price movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the second one, I just had no idea, and well, I have a lot of issues with some things that go on, especially with like, <laughs> some stuff that Babs does in that one. But, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to our discussion. Uh, before that, are you excited? We've talked about this, but I'm sure other people who may not listen to your show on this show, are you excited about the new Superman film that is coming out?
3: Uh, the The more we, the more I see, the more I get excited. I was trying to be kind of cautiously optimistic about it, and kind of keep it on the D L that uh, that I was really looking forward to it until that trailer came out, and it just completely blew me away with um, the effects and the way the costume looks on screen. And this is just going to be a really, it's going to be a different take on Superman. And uh, you know, there are some Superman fans that are upset about this uh there are some that are really really looking forward to it and i'm kind of in the middle where i'm really looking forward to it but kind of nervous at the same time just because i don't know um it could go wrong but i don't think it's going to uh and i and i really like uh, (laughs) my biggest beef right now is that that costume is very bland in the middle Mm -hmm. I, i don't need trunks but there's just nothing there to kind of separate the, the top and the bottom of the costume. So it's kind of weird looking at times. Do you think you'll
2: see it at midnight? Are you one of those midnight uh, movie You goals? know, normally I'm not.
3: Uh, normally I will wait. Uh, sometimes I can even wait till like the Saturday a film came out. This one, This one I may go at midnight and then go again later in the day. Because I don't think my first perception is going to be my final one. Uh, I think I'm gonna probably wig out the first time I see it, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna need a couple hours to go decompress mm-hmm. and then watch it again to have a more, you know, balanced mind. Because uh, one of the other things I do is a, uh, every Monday night at 11:30 uh, Eastern, 8:30 Pacific, because I know how time zones work. Um, I do a live. Uh, call-in show through the Superman homepage called Radio KA Alive with uh, the guy that runs the homepage, Steve Eunice. And, uh, we're obviously going to be talking about the film, so I'm going to have to see it. So I just... just Part of me... Part of me wants to to, to make this kind of special and maybe go to the midnight showing. I won't be dressing up, because uh, that would be... That would be a bad idea for me to put on a Superman costume. I I think... uh, I, th- I don't think people would enjoy that. Myself. We don't have
2: to be Superman. You could be Mr. Mitzias pick a- <laughs> There's
3: where silence. Am- where am I going to find a bowler hat? I, mean, I don't just- know.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I saw Mitzias pick uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. It-, it was really actually well done.
3: Wait, there's cosplaying there? I'm shocked. Yeah,
2: I shocked, know. I it, say. It is really <laughs> shocking, but he did a great job, so shout out to him. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm cautiously optimistic. I I'm I'm fearful that it's going to be a letdown for me, like Green Lantern was. So that's why I'm I'm cautious. But I, in general, I look forward to all sorts of superhero movies. So, but I think I have less stakes in it, less personal stakes than you do. But in, I I think I'll still see it midnight, and I'm hoping that it'll be great.
3: So you're looking forward to Iron Man three then.
2: I am. I, I think that looks, just from the trailer, it looks pretty, pretty awesome.
3: Okay. Awesome. I'm going to be interested in your take on Man of Steel as somebody who's not a huge yeah, person. Yeah.
2: Maybe I'll, you'll have to remind me, but maybe I should call in that night. <laughs> Radio, yeah. And just call in on the call show and, and get my the thoughts. Summer, so. Yeah, so it'll work out. Cool deal. Well, let's get into these weird comics. <laughs> uh first up we're going to have DC Comics Presents number 19.
3: Yes, um DC Comics Presents for those that aren't aware was a Superman team-up book that started at the uh end of 1978. It was the only comic to really kind of come out when the movie was coming out. Uh they the DC for some reason did not do a whole lot of uh, new Superman stuff around the time the first Superman film came out. I have no idea why. It's just kind of how everything worked out. But this one has a Ross Andrew Dick Giordano cover. It uh, it really kind of has to be seen to be believed because <laughs> you have Superman fighting uh, a uh, hawk-headed man in kind of a 19th century suit. I, I guess that's the best way to describe that yeah. uh, in this obelisk. And there's some Hieroglyphics at the end, at the bottom of the thing. I, I did not have time to research to see if that actually says something or if yeah. that's just kind of random. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He's saying, So, Superman, you've dared to violate my century old tomb. For that, I strike you down with the curse of Horus. But in the background, Ta-da. who haunts this house? Well, it's not Batgirl, but she's showing up because apparently, according to the cover blurb, this is the team-up that we demanded. Uh, has a March 1980 cover date. actually came out around December 3rd, 1979, which is kind of odd because this is more of a Halloween-type story. P- possessor of a brilliant mind and a brown belt in karate, Barbara Gordon, daughter of Gotham City Police Commissioner, fights for justice behind the mask of the Domino Dare doll. Batgirl. They're really not letting that Domino Dare doll thing go away, are they?
2: I don't think they ever will.
3: And, of course, rocketed as a baby from the doomed planet Krypton, Kal-El reached Earth, whose environment gave him superpowers. Posing, excuse me, as a mild-mannered newsman, Clark Kent, he fights evil as Superman. We have basically the, uh, the preview of what we're going to see in this story, uh, which was Who Haunts This House, written by Denny O'Neill, penciled by Joe Staten, inked by Frank Chiamonte, lettered by Milt Snappin, colored by Jerry Sharp, and it was edited by Julia Schwartz. From nowhere it came, a rambling old Victorian mansion that reeked of dark and desperate secrets. Yet not even Superman and Batgirl could even begin to guess exactly how dark. What starts as a party ends as a nightmare when the masked maiden and the man of steel strive to find out who haunts this house. So six months ago, out in the middle of nowhere, an old southern stereotype is shocked... Or, I guess I should say, he is danged or (laughs) double-danged as a house materializes in front of him. A half a year later, he opens the house to the public, and in attendance are Clark Kent and Barbara Gordon. Clark is there for the story, and the old stereotype Mr. Girk explains that he found this house, discovered it didn't belong to nobody, sold off a bunch of gold and valuables inside, and decided to throw a celebrity party. He even hired a helicopter... Which Barbara Gordon notices is acting strange, and by strange I mean it is diving straight for the house. Clark changes to Superman and saves the day. Once the pilot on the ground, once the pilot is on the ground, he explains that he suddenly wanted to kill him some people for no discernible reason. Barbara feels a tiny off balance herself and blames it on something in the air. Nearby, Phil Collins reads her thoughts and writes a hit '80s songs with a great drum riff in the middle. Once everyone calms down from being almost killed, Girk calls them inside. Clark and Barbara catch up on recent events, including Barbara apparently losing the last congressional election and wanting to take a vacation to take her mind off of the loss. Inside, she spots a strange uh, obelisk, because I can read, which Girk has tried time and time again to open, but found he couldn't. Clark is shocked to discover that it even resists his X-ray vision. This type of thing strikes me as something that should be really, really important. Might even play a huge role in the conclusion of this story. But that's just crazy talk. Meanwhile, a man so awesome that he keeps a pipe in his mouth at all times is busy bawling out the pilot and even smacks him in the candlestick. So, if you chose Mr. D-Bag Pipe Smoking Guy near the obelisk with the candlestick in your game of Clue, you win. Superman puts a stop at the beating, uh, to the beating and takes the pilot off for medical treatment, never once asking why the hell a guy that tried to kill a bunch of people was let back into the building in the first place. The Man of Steel is of the opinion that with two senseless acts of violence happening so close together, something is probably up. Inside, everyone sits down to eat, but one of the guests is hor- horrified to discover that the wine they have been served is actually Blood. He attacks Gurk, but the timely intervention of Barbara Gordon, who has a brown belt in karate, stops his murderous rampage. Showing a complete lack of regard for her secret identity, she goes back to her room and changes into Batgirl, 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 Batgirl. Where does she come from? Where does she go? Where is your scene, baby? We just gotta know. I can't believe those are the lyrics to that song. It's just like they were just throwing stuff at the wall or something. She hears Caleb, that's Girk's name, by the way, uh, first name, by the way, being attacked and spends a few pages beating back a murderous crowd. They use a table to fend off the kill-happy partygoers and make their way up the stairs and behind a closed door. The two discuss why they haven't fallen prey to the whole wanting-to-kill-everyone thing. Caleb believes that between him being a desert rat and all-around odd guy... He's okay, and her heroic streak, uh that makes her want to help people, it basically makes them better able to resist the urge to slaughter each other. The murderous crowd outside slowly begins to break through the heavy oak door. Meanwhile, Superman flies back to the house and discovers that it's not there. He goes clear to the Earth's core to find it. Well that's being thorough, so I'm impressed, but no dice. He uses his infrared vision and catches a shimmering image of the house and flies towards it. Suddenly, the man of tomorrow finds himself trapped inside the mind of Dr. Horace, a bird-headed man wearing a 19th century style suit. He explains that a century ago, his neighbors were alarmed at the fact that his research gave him the hawk head he now bears.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh.
3: Why would they be shocked at such a thing? you those those people they just they just didn't appreciate science they sealed him in the house but both the house and he survived thanks to him doing the whole suspended animation thing in truth he pulled his very house and body into his own mind where superman is now 6 months ago he took a peek into what was going on in the world and much like me and bobs burgers on fox he didn't really like what he saw because I hate that show, cause it's awful. He tried to withdraw, but because he doesn't understand how his powers work, Horace was unable to do so. Superman takes off back towards the house despite Horace's protests and arrives just in time to save Batgirl and Caleb. They're all like, What's going on, Superman? And he's all like, There's this bird headed dude named Horace, and he's messing with these people but good. However, if I can bring him into the real world, his control over them will cease. Superman rips open the obelisk. Told you it was going to be important later. And Horace releases everyone from his control and then disappears. As Caleb and Batgirl wonder where he went, Clark shows up and does the whole, what happened thing? While thinking for the the benefit of the reader, that Horace chose to stay behind in the universe he created, leaving nothing behind but the house as a monument to his twisted genius. A genius nobody will ever recognize which apparently is as it should be. The end. Wow, where do you start? I mean like, Yeah. <laughs> this is so indeed. Str- this is so strange. It is. But in a good way. I mean it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad story by any stretch of the imagination. So apparently you disagree. Very good. <laughs>
2: well, no, no, I agree. I mean, it had its like entertaining moments, but it was it was just like my belief was stretched even more than it normally is. I think for you know comics.
3: So, what did you think of it?
2: I guess my first issue is why a group of celebrities decide to go to a party at like this creepy mansion in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> who does who decides to do that? And then when things start happening, I mean, frankly, the first one, like this freak accent, I'd be pretty shaken up. But then after the second one, people are still staying and decide to sit down to dinner. So I'm just wondering, like, when is the clue to leave?
3: Well, apparently the food's really good.
2: Um, I guess. If you're a vampire and enjoy raw meat and and blood and such. I mean, come on.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny because... DC Comics Presents as a title is kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a crapshoot, because most of the issues I've read are really enjoyable. But by the very nature of the title, sometimes you have to do a lot of stretching and kind of forced interaction to get the two characters together. I mean... Theoretically, putting Superman and Batgirl together at this time period probably wouldn't have been all that difficult because they did have something of a history together. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, it was only two issues, but you know they—Batman did try to force them to go out. So, which I'm still, yeah, I'm just still really confused by <laughs> that. I, I, was he just tired of her at that point, and or he yeah, didn't that's... want Dick Grayson to go out with her, or whatever? But. I, it's, you know, just why do you pawn off a girl to your to your oldest friend? So I mean, whatever. Um, putting them together at this party, kind of, you know, it 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 doesn't not make sense, but it's mm-hmm. also kind of yeah, that's kind of stretching things a little bit. And and I think the biggest flaw and weakness of this issue is backer backer and superman really don't do all that much together
2: exactly yeah
3: you know he flies off and has to deal with you know horace and every time i hear horace i think of uh monster squad uh, which I, I don't know if you've ever seen that film but one of the kids in it who's called fat kid throughout the entire film his real name is horace apparently so uh yeah so so that's a double or nothing loss uh a, a bet against god that he lost so you know he can't really win either way there, either fat kid or horse. <laughs> oh man. Um. the The Egyptian thing here is kind of weird too, and just it, again, if 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 they had tried to tie it better into the, into the story itself, instead of like we found this weird house and it had yeah. this obelisk, let's have a page of everyone doing you know one thousand maniacs basically, where everyone just goes crazy. Uh, you know, for seemingly, seemingly no reason. So uh, the artwork's good. Joe Staten's one of my favorites of this era. And I I really like his take on Superman. What did you think of his Batgirl?
2: Um, Yeah, I thought it was well done. She's got that collar on and everything. I I really like some of sort of the psychedelic panels that he does when Horace is having, well, he's about to be destroyed basically, but um, kind of these waves outwards. I think that Those are really well done. But, yeah, I I would agree that it is great artwork. Both Superman and Clark. I think they really fit the character.
3: Yeah, Staten had a really good handle uh, on this Superman. And he drew, probably around this time period, the Justice Society strip in Adventure Comics. Uh, So he was handling the the Earth-2 Superman as well. In fact, he drew the death of the Earth-2 Batman, if I'm correct. Um, But it's just... You know, we we have a kind of a bizarre beginning with the old man, you know, Caleb, who. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I when I read his dialogue in his head, I was like, "I'll be danged, dang, yeah. double danged! Ain't nobody gonna believe this at all."
2: It's like but the guy think... in Toy Story 2.
3: <laughs> the bear? Uh, no, no, that was Toy Story three.
2: No, so, what yeah. was his name? Pete? No uncle something
3: yeah i i i haven't seen that film since that but month.
2: you know who i'm talking about yes i know exactly the, the antagonist in that one yeah
3: i i mean th- that was a decent beginning but like you said it doesn't matter. i guess it's because everybody is under the spell of horace that they stay i mean that's really the only reason i can think of but yeah you know a bunch of people almost died which is kind of upsetting and then Somebody tries to kill the pilot, and that dude just does not take that pipe out of his mouth, even <laughs> when he's hitting Clovering. that guy on yeah. page five. Um, and then, you know, there's blood, and that's when the, the crowd goes weir- uh, goes wild. I-, I gotta ask, and I feel kind of bad asking this, because um, Charlie Niemeyer, who does Superman in the Bronze Age, covered this issue uh, in episode 59 of his show last October, as part of his spooky month. And he kind of asked the same question I asked, uh, at least I think he did. This is what I'm remembering from listening to the show. Why did she bother changing into Batgirl? There is really no point to it. I mean, I guess she has to because it's Batgirl and Superman teaming up. But doesn't that kind of... I mean, okay, there's a really good-looking redhead named Barbara Gordon who's a public figure. Yeah. Yes, she just lost out the last congressional election, But, you know, people probably know who she is because it's a celebrity party and she was somehow able to go, which means she's some manner of celebrity. Then, a really good-looking redhead dressed as Batgirl shows up, and apparently they're not going to put two and two together on that?
2: Yeah, well, this is an issue that has plagued this Batgirl's appearances uh, a lot because even when she goes to Spain as Barbara Gordon, and then Batgirl pops up. Like, people aren't putting two and two together. So I, I still have that issue, why people can't connect it. At least her father was smart enough to connect it, and he knows. But, you know, the panel says whatever's going on, I can cope with it better as Batgirl. So I wonder if it was more like, this This cow really is, is going to give me more strength more psychological strength to fight it because she was affected by it so maybe she thought that just putting it on will put her to a place where she can be stronger and sort of fight what is going on but that's that's a, <laughs> the best answer that i can give uh because it is strange because i mean how many people are going to remember what's going on so she could have potentially just fought the mind-controlled people as barbara gordon and i don't think it would have remember uh would have mattered but then caleb is there so maybe he would have questioned but i also wonder why she and caleb weren't affected and the other people were i i wonder what is horace what is his point and i even why is he there in the house i guess that's his house so i would think he would want the people out of his house i don't i don't know Uh,
3: (laughs) I, i guess i should try to no prize this um to, to answer the first question, uh, O'Neill tries to kind of get around why they aren't affected on page 11. Because Barbara asks the question. The second big question is, why didn't it change us? Mm-hmm. And Caleb's like, because we're different, I figure. Me, yeah. I'm an old desert rat. Been alone most of my life. I don't react normal. I don't react normal. I actually like that. You ain't usual neither. Something drives you to risk your neck for folks. And that drives changed the same. Uh, the lonesome changed me. So apparently, heroism and crippling loneliness <laughs> uh, keep you from uh, from from falling prey to Horace's effects. And though she is trying to fight it now, now here's another question: Do you think this is a weird question? I know, but given since you've been following Babs through her evolution as a character, mm-hmm. do you think at this point in her life? Because she just lost out on the election, that she needs Batgirl for confidence.
2: That's tough. Well, she that was that was really tough for her uh, because she after she lost it, she wondered if there was really any point and did she ever really help. But at the end of that particular issue, um, she realized that she could do help both um, as. Batgirl, and then later, she would continue the fight as Barbara Gordon. So I feel like she its probably still a weak spot because she came to this house because she needed to get away from everything. But maybe she felt like, as Barbara Gordon, she was still weak. But as Batgirl, she could do something more because that's, that's the only way she can make a difference right now since she's not a politician. So perhaps... But I still think, and I I do like how she's feeling, because she says, I hope he's right. I'm feeling an urge to throttle him. I'm glad that she isn't, like, completely, because he seems like he's fine. There's no thought bubbles for him, but she's a little rattled. And I think that makes sense, given the fact that she's um, sort of down on herself for not winning that election.
3: I like the fact that she's kind of rattled, too, because... you know, too often in these stories you do have the hero not affected by what's going on and there's really no explanation given. Here we're kinda of seeing in her head that she is having a problem with it, but she's able to fight it off because she's awesome. So that I like quite a bit. Now as for Horace, he really Okay, let me see if I get this straight. He was a scientist mm-hmm. that in the nineteenth century. So this is like a hundred years ago, so this is eighteen eighty. So he's a scientist that, through his experiments, made his head look like that of a hawk. Mm-hmm. And apparently his neighbors took exception to this. Yes. Uh, I know this is shocking to some people that such rampant racism and intolerance <laughs> could occur in 1880. Oh, but, you know, if I walked out of my house today in 2013 and my neighbors suddenly had the head of a hawk, I'd be concerned. So... <laughs> This guy's not wrapped too tight, or maybe he's wrapped a little too tight, uh, depending on how you want to say that. Uh, so he's kind of crazy already. So basically, his experiments all, also gave him these mind powers that allowed him him to put himself and his house into suspended animation. Basically, he went into his own mind with the house. I really want to be there the day after this happened where his neighbors are like, you know, first his head's, you know, he's got a hawk head, and now his house is gone. Um, so apparently he doesn't have control over this either, and maybe that's, a, maybe that's one of his big issues, that he has all these mental powers and he just can't control them. So that when he took a peek and to see what was going on, the house pops out, but he doesn't for six months. And Caleb comes in and basically, he, uh, what what do you call that, squatting, I guess is uh, is what you would call?
2: I guess, yeah.
3: Takes ownership of the house, starts selling stuff off, which is terrible, and then has this big party and he starts messing with all the people because he doesn't like what he sees in humanity. There There isn't a clear, it's like if he was trying to get everybody out, like you said, that would be one thing. But having everybody want to kill each other doesn't seem like a good way to get people out of your house. It seems like a good way to litter your house with dead bodies.
2: Yeah. And he should have just started with Caleb. Because if he got rid of Caleb.
3: Then, 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 he, then yeah, problem solved. Yeah. So, and the just whole obelisk just, thing. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just there. It, it really doesn't do much for the story itself. And it's nothing against Denny O'Neill, who I think is an exceptional writer. It's just I don't, I don't think a lot of, of, of effort was really put into the plot angle. It was just, hey, we want to team up Superman and Batgirl, so let's make it kind of weird. Um,
2: yeah. Um, well, there are two things. Number one, why did his head turn into a hawk? That's my first question. My second question is don't you I feel like it would have been a really good um, plot point to have him see her, maybe not in Washington if she's not there anymore, but Gotham City and maybe have some sort of team up and and maybe he helps her along with her her issues as well because right now Jim Gordon has been helping her along and saying, you know we Gordons don't give up, and you can be strong again, and maybe she would need some encouragement from Well, I guess Clark at that point as well. So I I don't know if this weird location and story serves their partnership as well. And you brought up a good point that, I mean, they don't really even do anything together. He he flies off. He's gone for so long. He comes back, solves the problem, and then they're off. Basically, the first page, well, the first page that they meet is the, the longest that they're together when she's happy and sees them. But uh, why do you think his head turned into a hawk? It th- he,
3: just, he just said, "My experiments did this to me," so I don't know <laughs> what I don't know what he so was doing. I mean, it's just maybe he was obsessed with. It. See, again, this is one of those things where if we had time to kind of get to know who the villain was, I mean, we get yeah. to know more about Caleb and his, you know, orneriness than we do with uh, with Horace, who's you know the villain of the piece. I don't think Horace ever showed up again. Uh, again, I know that's kind of surprising, um, but it's really kind of sad that the, like, the most we get, because cause to me, I was kind of excited to see these uh, Clark and Barbara together, yeah. because, you know, we joke about it, but they do kind of have a history together. I mean, mm-hmm. they were hanging out, she made Lois Lane all jealous, and while I wouldn't ship these two uh, by any stretch of the imagination... You know, there, there's something about seeing two friends getting together after not seeing each other for a while that that's kind of cool, and that's just kind of done in two panels, essentially, where, you know, she basically explains, you know, that she lost out, he's there for the story, okay, let's get on with this, like, really weird, you know, plot that Denny O'Neill has concocted, so... I, I don't know if it was a really good, I mean, Batgirl got to be the hero, but I don't even yeah. know if it's a really good example of of her either, in all honesty. At least, you know, in that, in that one story that we covered last time you had me on the show, where, you know, she's kind of taking on the main bad guy while Superman takes on a bigger problem, at least shows her kind of doing something. Yes, she's holding off the, she's helping Caleb, but... It just seems like you know with Superman, it's just weird. I, I really don't know. I I, I I tried to really, I don't like. I said I don't hate this story, but yeah. it's just not the best that DC Comics produced.
2: Do you or think DC if, comics presents? Produced. Yeah. Do you think originally I thought, oh, this Cable guy, he's going to be the villain. Do you think it would have worked out better if it was? Um, if it was a less convoluted villain and we had Caleb somehow taken over by, I don't know, an evil spirit or just be a bad guy.
3: That that, that actually is kind of how I thought it was going to go. Yeah. Then, then Horace showed up and I'm just like, I was expecting a whole like Scooby-Doo ending where they rip off the Hawk mask and it's Caleb underneath. And he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you know those pesky Batgirl and Superman. So... I don't know. Just very, very strange. And Clark yeah. just shows up at the end. Hey guys, what happened? Oh god! Which is, which is his his maneuver, basically. Which again doesn't make him look like a very good reporter. <laughs> Though Poor I guess he, he would have to explain why he wasn't in the murderous crowd.
2: Yeah, it's true. And what sort of? I guess he's he doesn't seem like the type that would be doing lifestyle pieces. At the Daily Planet. Because I guess that's where this would go. This huge party in the middle of the desert. That seems like more, it could be Lois' gig, but maybe that's too shallow for her as well. It,
3: it could be also he's an anchorman on WGBS. Okay. Uh, and is known, you know, he's kind of like the Walter Cronkite of this era. Who You know, everyone knows who he is. He does the news every night. So it, it would make sense to invite him. You think he would wear, you know, something else besides his usual blue suit with the black and white, red striped tie? But um, that's how they. That was the style guide, I guess, is the best way to say that. So, I, <laughs> the the best thing I could say about this story is it got us together talking about Back and Super <laughs> yeah. again. So that that kind of made me happy. Uh, I mean, it's 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 much better than the the other story we're going to be talking about. So, <laughs> oh
2: gosh, yeah. Um, so, what would you give this out of ten?
3: I'd give this a seven, um, okay. Because you know, like I said, I can't be too hard on it, just because by the very nature of what it is, it, it you know, D, like I said, DC Comics Presents was a series, you know, was kind of by, by by the the structure of teaming Superman up with a random character, you were either going to get something really really interesting or something very forced, and. This this is kind of like in, in between those two. It could have been interesting. It just didn't turn out that way. So, yeah, I, I'd give it a seven.
2: Okay. I'm going to give it one lower and give it a six because I also sort of like to compare between the two stories. So I had to think about what I was going to give the next story. So a seven <laughs> for Michael and a six for me. Oh, man. Well, it's about to get a little stranger, folks. Yes. <laughs> Because now you can openly ship Superman and Batgirl, I guess, if you want to. Uh, so this is Superman number 363. And we're going to be covering the story, just imagine, A Night in the Life of Bruce, Superman, Wayne. <laughs> oh, man. Writer Bob Razakis, penciler Rich Buckler, inker Joe Giella, and uh, colorist Jerry Serpe. And this came out in September 1981. Uh, now, this was... Sort of a backup story, I guess you could call it. Yes. Because the actual story was The Dying Day of Lois and Lana by Carrie Bates and illustrated by Kurt Swan. And I guess I I, I did get a summary for this, so I thought I could go over it. I started reading it, and I was just like, what is going on? So I decided to just (laughs) go to the end to where it really mattered. Uh, But while attending a function at Metropolis Museum, Clark, Lana, and Lois, boy, you know it's going to be a good one when Lana and Lois are together, are all exposed to a, a... virulent alien virus that originated from one of Lewis Lang's artifacts. Clark's super antibodies naturally make him immune to the virus, but Lana and Lois fall deathly ill. Analyzing the microbes with telescopic vision, Superman recognizes the virus as the same one that ultimately killed his adoptive parents, the Kents. Superman rushes Lana and Lois to the Fortress of Solitude, but he is unable to find a cure He contemplates sending them into the Phantom Zone uh, to forestall the effects of the virus, but the Phantom Zone criminals, ever observing Superman's activities, concentrate their will into a burst of psychic energy that destroys the Phantom Zone projector. Though they cannot escape the Phantom Zone, they are satisfied that they have prevented Superman the means of saving Lana and Lois. Desperate, Superman even goes to the Metropolis State Penitentiary and tries to enlist the scientific expertise of none other then lex luther but luther refuses to aid him shocking Superman then travels to the 88th century in the hopes of finding a cure from the advanced scientific minds of Earth's future. These beings refuse to corrupt the time stream, but assure Superman that someone from his era will in fact find a cure. Returning to the present, Superman realizes that since he was affected by the microbes as well, then his super immune system might be able to save Lana and Lois. He gives them an immediate blood transfusion and they quickly recover. Then Lois said that it was all a ploy to get Superman to marry her. Not really, though.
0: But I couldn't imagine that happening. He's not the same person. We were supposed to have a picnic, but he was with another girl. It serves you right, Lois. After all the love schemes you pulled to get me to marry you. I have no idea what he was talking about.
2: You know, this reminds me that I hope Josh comes out with that that audio drama soon. Yes. I'm pretty excited about that.
3: Sure, you and but, I got to be Superman and Lois.
2: Superman and Lois, yes. That, and I got to say some really wacky lines, and I made a giant pizza. <laughs> <It's>
3: <laughs> and so it, and weird! I'm, sh- I'm sure it tasted good.
2: Oh, I hope so. Okay, well, so that was that wacky story with Lois and Lana, but here, here is our actual story. So this is a night in the life of Bruce Superman Wayne, which really, when you think about it, it's not a night in his life as much as it was in. Barbara's life, because she was the one, but we'll get to that. Uh, in a similar vein as Superman's speeding bullets, Krypton explodes and a rocket carries baby Kal-El to Gotham City, where it is discovered by a young Jim Gordon, and he takes it to Thomas and Martha Wayne, because apparently he doesn't know that he should probably bring it to an orphanage or Child Protective Services. Uh, this baby grows up as Bruce Wayne, discovering his powers, and on his 21st birthday, decides to use his strength for the good of the world. We then see Bruce and Barbara Gordon <laughs> getting married. Babs watches the rerun on the wedding. Uh, I don't really know about that, but and reflects on Bruce revealing that he is Superman on their wedding night. That was a bad choice of timing. She automatically wants Bruce to give it up for he wastes his time saving one person at a time when he could be using his brilliant intellect by curing diseases. Apparently, Bruce goes along with this and retires as Superman, trying to cure the common cold instead. The phone rings, and Babs learns from Chief O'Hara that the commissioner has been shot and killed, saying that if Superman hadn't retired, Gordon would probably still be alive. Well, of course, Babs feels responsible for this. Bruce comes to her and finds out what has happened, suits up and flies at super-duper speed in order to crack the time barrier and prevent the murder, unfortunately, as he already exists in the time period he only acts as a ghost and he watches gordon get shot by lou moxon bruce returns to see babs suiting up in her batgirl er batwoman garb uh something she made once she realized that superman was more than just a guardian but a symbol and something had to replace that symbol she goes after lou moxon with anger and intimidation Frightening many bad guys, and as she finally finds Moxon, she goes to wrangle him with a rope, but he runs <laughs> into the street, and he is killed by a truck. Babs accuses Superman of not saving Moxon, but Bruce responds that Moxon sealed his fate when he shot Gordon, and Destiny decreed he should die this way to pay for his sins, and not even a Superman could change that. The two walk, I know, right? The two walk off under an eerie visage of Jim Gordon. Oh, my gosh.
3: Ooh. Yeah, where did it begin? Oh. Um, well, the, this was, uh, there were a lot of different backup stories that appeared in the various Superman titles uh, from the start of the Bronze Age, basically. One of them was, like, The Fabulous World of Krypton. There was The Private Life of Clark Kent. There was one called The Superman of 2020, which showed Superman's grandson and his adventures. This one apparently was one that they just decided because it seemed like an interesting idea to kind of have, you know, well, what if Superman was found by somebody else? And what if that other people were the Waynes, uh, which would later get turned into the J.M. DeMatteis written speeding bullets Elseworld story. Uh, which Jeffrey Taylor and I covered recently on uh, from crisis to crisis. That's a. I had more issues with that story than I realized I was going to have to when we we started talking about it. But this was the last one of the um, <laughs> uh, Bruce Superman Wayne, and uh, okay, okay. So let me get this straight. Um, okay, I can buy that the Waynes found baby Kal El.
2: Yeah, I think that's except well, yeah. After you buy that. Jim Gordon went straight to them and not to like some yeah. other agency where you probably should go if you found a baby somewhere.
3: Um, and I get that he grew up, he became Superman because mm-hmm. that's kind of his shtick. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I haven't read all of these, so I don't know if the Waynes died or not. And uh, he meets Barbara Gordon and falls for her because she's a hot redhead and that's what you do. <laughs> and, and they get married and yeah. And he reveals his identity, which you know they're married. You know you figured you would have had that conversation before. That's what I'm.
2: That I have a major problem with
3: that. Um, But still, you know. So he tells her, and and her first, her first really stupid reaction, and there's several in this story, is okay. You got to retire. Yeah. I know there's an entire planet depending on you right now, but you could be doing other stuff, and I need you at home. So. Yeah, you figured she would have been more apt to accept his lifestyle, I guess if you want to call it that, because, you know, her father was a cop. So, you you think she would have, you know, kind of been used to that sort of thing. Or maybe that's why she wanted him to retire. So then, you know, (laughs) apparently crime goes all crazy because Superman's gone, and her father's killed, and he tries to stop it, which was really nice of him, but... Her idea is, no, you don't become a superhero again. I'm going to become a superhero. You, who are invulnerable to bullets, should stay home. I, who am not invulnerable to bullets, am going to go out and fight crime. It's just... uh, That's just so weird. Yeah. And then, when he dies, when Lou Moxon dies, which is kind of what happened on Earth 1 and Earth 2, her reaction is, you could have saved him. (laughs) So... This is the most dysfunctional relationship I've, I've seen in comics in quite some time. Because she can't make up her mind about what she wants her husband to do. Yeah. And that's kind of unfair.
2: Yeah, I feel... not Maybe not like a relationship, but like the most dysfunctional Barbara Gordon in comics. Yeah. Not knowing... You know, I do have to say, I guess my only gripe against Superman is, well... I guess he shouldn't have gone along with, uh, he shouldn't have rolled over so easily on the you should give up your costume thing, but that he told her after they were married, because (laughs) it just sort of seemed like a very Lois Lane thing to do, Uh, sort of like trick her into marrying him, and then he would reveal it, because I feel like that does need to be a conversation you have, because that's such a big thing to have that before you actually propose, because she needs to accept that part of your life as well. So he was very trusting that she would accept that. But I, I was really surprised. I, I thought, I can't believe you're asking him. And she says only 1% at a time, but he's he saves scores at a time, depending on what the natural disaster or or villain is doing. And then, you know, you could use your brilliant intellect. And I thought, well, can't he use both? I mean, well, because, I mean, that's almost what Bruce Wayne does. If he's not being a playboy, he is trying to help Gotham City as Bruce Wayne with his money. And then at night, he's Batman. So conceivably, he could have been doing both. So not too sure about that. But I thought, gee, she's a hypocrite because after she asked him to retire, instead of saying, I made a mistake, the world needs Superman, she decides I'm going to (laughs) make a Batwoman costume Oh, i don't know and I, again
3: I, what what is her what is her impetus to make a batwoman?
2: yeah costume? and not like a superwoman yeah exactly that is a little weird yes thank you for bringing that up i don't know i wonder what it would have looked like a super lois costume do you think what would that have looked like
3: i mean i like the costume
2: oh yeah uh, for sure
3: it's, it's a really good take on on the Batgirls. Uh, i like the black body suit with the yellow bat, I think that that looks really striking. Rich Buckler is uh, one of my favorite artists from this era. Um, however, I don't think this is his best work. Um, it's very tight and very constrained, and there's a lot going on, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for for really like you know you know dramatic artwork. And that that, that shot of Commissioner Gordon's head. On that last panel. Uh, It's not that he's looking down on them. It's just like he's seen something he doesn't like in the corner and he's just staring. And that's just very strange to me. I don't know. But I like the fact that she's Batwoman in this alternate reality. Yeah. That was kind of an interesting way to kind of shake things up a bit.
2: Yeah, I feel like a lot of it was because maybe um, Kathy didn't exist at all.
3: Commissioner Gordon looks very uncomfortable his in his suit on the first page. By oh, the way,
2: oh gosh! I know.
3: So yeah. he knows he's Superman. I'm assuming.
2: Well, he perhaps.
3: I don't know. And, and who is the third person on one. the couch on that first page with the Waynes? It can't be Alfred. That's really weird. But yeah, I'm. I'm I really need to look more into these uh, Bruce Superman Wayne stories because. There's a lot that's being left out in those first uh, first four issues, so yeah. I mean, those first four panels. I mean, I mean, not the you know him being rocketed away. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. But yeah, why did James Gordon take the baby to the home of Thomas and 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 Martha Wayne? Well, at least the Mar- the mother's named Martha in both realities too. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So, what would you give this one?
2: Oh gosh. Um, I think I would give this one a 7, a 7 out of a uh, 10. There were just, uh, I, I'm, I just have like issues with, with uh, Babs's character and what, uh, what she says. I guess I do have to say thanks to Editorial and Science um, for having Superman try to change time again, but it not being allowed, because I think that would have been too easy of a fix, and so I guess it was good that he was not allowed to do that since he already existed. And so Jim Gordon died, and then we had to deal with that.
3: Yeah, how is that going to affect their relationship too? I mean, will she be mad at him, or will she be mad at herself and project that anger onto him? You know, always thinking yeah. that you know, if I if I didn't ask him to give up being Superman, maybe my father would still be alive. But if he had stood up to me and given up being uh, and kept being Superman, maybe it's I don't know. I just yeah. She's kinda crazy to begin with.
2: Yes, she so is. She's a little it's kinda, unstable.
3: It's kinda hard to, to see. I, I, I'm gonna give this one a five. Uh, oh wow. 60. I just just with the, the, the craziness of Barbara. Yeah. And just the kind of leaps that this story takes. I mean, just <laughs> that whole thing of Superman giving up, I, I I don't have a problem with that in and of itself. But Superman retires. Will dedicate life to scientific research. Good luck, Superman. Not, don't leave us, please, don't. Ah. Yeah. So I just and, and the art's a little bit off too, uh, which is kind of weird. But you know, it's just so it's just so strange that he just. I mean, on your wedding night, you're expecting your husband to kind of take his clothes off. Um, You're probably not expecting a Superman outfit to be under there. Probably not.
2: That's a little shocking.
3: Not even my wife was expecting that. Which is oh a good thing.
2: When you showed her your Mrs. Pitzlik outfit.
3: Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I waited to the wedding night for that because you know that that that's okay. You're legally required to be married to me right now, so you you have to accept my my mixie outfit with my bowler hat and there my Cigar. my orange and purple outfit
2: yeah i i did at least like that she goes right after that guy um as someone crazed with guilt and grief would do just like batman or spider-man i think would do but but what was weird for me is that i think uh, any of those characters who had some tragedy in their life, and then they found themselves against the bad guy that did it. If that person died, there'd be sort of a, and it wasn't their fault, there'd be some sense of relief, or maybe almost like a, a sick joy, just that there was. But but then she just accuses Superman right away that, you know, you could have saved him. And I was a little confused. What that was.
3: And, and, His reasoning's a little off there. No, I don't think so. Um, Moxon uh, sealed his fate when he shot your father. Yeah, that's what happened. Destiny, destiny decreed he should die this way to pay for his sins. God. And uh, I couldn't have stopped that. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that works. That works. Oh my gosh. Let's go home. Yeah.
2: I don't, I don't even think that um, Moxon would have gone to jail because it's not like there was any evidence that he killed Gordon just said Superman was a ghost. How does he explain that? I went back in time,
3: but I yeah, couldn't that, stop it. <laughs> I
2: could only watch it happen, and it was Joe Moxon.
3: It's like you want to see like the Law and Order episode of that, where the, the, the defense attorney is just like, Your Honor, are we really going to believe that he went back in time? Can he really prove that that happened? And that's the only witness. I mean, I guess maybe they could use it to get a search warrant because there would be inevitable discovery there somehow. I don't know. Just, <laughs> I just, I, I do like that he gets hit by a car. Cause that seems to be what happens to the, to Lou Moxon and Joe chill in these stories. No matter the, um, no matter the reality. Uh, I will say this really quickly. I actually really liked the dying day of Lois and Lana. The first story. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, mainly because I thought it tied nicely into Superman's past and the artwork was, uh, was pretty solid for Kurt Swan. So uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I kind of liked it. I really liked the cover, though. Because, you know, Superman's sitting there begging. That's Rich Buckler as well, by the way. So you can see that the inker makes all the difference sometimes. And he's like, there's nothing I can do to save Lois and Lana. Find a cure for them, Luther, and I'll do anything. And luther has got his, like, fist on his hip, and he's like, ha, ha, ha. It is such a great cover. Oh, gosh. Meanwhile, Lois looks like she's just been roofied. Um, Yeah. I mean it's not quite, you know, at least she's wearing her clothes because it's like every time my wife and I watch that one episode of Batman the animated series with the uh, the fear gas, mm-hmm. uh Rachel always asks who undressed Barbara and put her in the uh the hospital gown yep. in the bat cave. Who drew straws for that? I mean that that's kind of yeah. creepy.
2: Hopefully Alfred.
3: <laughs> but that's even creepier. <laughs>
2: Well, but he he has medical training, so hopefully he'll look at it in an odd way. But, yeah, <laughs> there's uh... – there's, uh, It was one of the first, like, old X-Men issues I read because um, I started getting essentials. And Arcade kidnaps the different X-Men. And Storm had just taken a shower, and she's, like, in a bathrobe. And then the next thing they know, they're in these giant uh, pinballs, and they're in their costume. But at least Scott brings up, we're in our costumes. But, ser- yeah, I always wonder, like, why don't they ever question how they got into their costumes? So Arcade dressing Storm, I think, is way creepier than... <laughs> Alfred dressing back row. Oh boy. Weird, weird issues that we picked um, to have this reunion here.
3: Yeah, and, and thankfully there's just this really normal run-of-the-mill episode of, 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 of the Batman 60s series to talk about where nothing oh, yeah. strange happens at of all. Of
2: course, of course. Well, we're going to take a break, uh, but when I come back, I will review. Back row 16 and Birds of Prey 16. But now Zias' Radio are featuring White Wedding by Billy Idol.
1: There's nothing fair in this world There is nothing safe in this world And there's nothing sure in this world And there's nothing pure in this world Look for something left in this world
2: Well, welcome back. Now I'm going to take the modern comics and review them myself since my friend Michael Billy did not have a chance to read them. So first up we have Batgirl number 16, Collision Part 3, Ceremony, Writer Girl Simone, Art on pages 1 through 10, Ed Benes and Pencils on pages 11 through 20, Daniel Sampere, and Inks pages 11 through 20, Vicente Sefuentes and Chorus Ulysses Ariola. Interlude number one, Babs is sitting in a wheelchair speaking to a clinical psychologist, Dr. Andrea Latamendi. It seems Babs is having difficulty letting go of the past. Um, She's behind in her physical therapy and she's depressed. She's also having vivid dreams, which usually ends with her choking Joker with her bare hands. Present day, at the church, as some clowns get emotional, Babs thinks over getting shot by the Joker and is still completely baffled by him wanting to marry her. Batgirl, the lamb of Joker's loins, tries to give the priest strength in order to carry on the ceremony, and suddenly Joker pulls out a tiny little book, a self-help book. The bat is king, he is the jester, and all the bat brats are dragging Batman down. Uh, have we heard this before? I don't remember. So Joker is going to free his bat friend from all the leeches and Batgirl will be his leverage as he has a special spa for her in his basement. A box arrives and Joker pulls out a chainsaw with which Lefty, a vet's assistant for a semester because that means you're a doctor basically, will take all of her limbs. Babs considers running for a moment but her mother wouldn't make it so she decides to take as many of the clowns down as possible. She considers she's up against a lot. Even though she hasn't faced anything, she couldn't outthink or outpunch. Huh. I wonder what book she's been reading for these past uh, 15 months. Then in walks James Jr. He comes into the church double fisting two grenades. He tells Batgirl that Mrs. Gordon is safe away from the skating rink, which gives Batgirl all the incentive she needs to really go after Joker and his circus of clowns. Act now. Think about whether it is safe trusting James later. She's done being afraid, and her fighting shows it. Outside the church, a scared Alicia is considering that her actions from a few months ago, namely letting James pick her up outside of a bar at probably 2 a.m., were not the best, uh, best decisions. Joker thinks Batgirl may be crazier than he. James offers Joker a deal. A clown calls uncle, and Batgirl ignores it and beats him down as she is fresh out of mercy. Ignoring the priest's frightened face as he stares at her, she goes after Joker once and for all and begins pushing the chainsaw even closer to cleaving Joker's head. Unfortunately, James lied. Bab Sr. is not safe, and she's about to get a whiff of chloroform. Sleep, little bat. Sleep. James demands Bab Sr. to be let go. Joker says that wouldn't do since he needs an audience for the reception and asks about the grenade. James said that they were fake in order to get his attention, but this one's not, hey, 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 as he pulls the pin and lets it go, destroying the church and taking who knows how many with him. Later, a foggy backroll awakes to a well-dressed Joker, saying that the engagement is off, but at least there is a parting gift as he begins to open a bloody serving dish to reveal to be concluded in Batman number 17 well to start off you know i wonder what was the point of interlude one and whether there's going to be an interlude two which of course we didn't see in this issue so if death of the family is over in batman number 17 will there be an interlude number two in batgirl 17 who knows we basically see things we've heard multiple times before namely that it was a slow road to recovery joker really jacked her up and she wants to kill him so what was the point of it all was that doctor the same doctor that was with joker that you know her daughter was threatened it doesn't really seem like it so i don't know now as this wraps up the arc with joker i'm still wondering what his motives were with everything he did to barbara he shows his little book which has all his apparent plans and info but that was only mentioned in this book and it seems to have little importance elsewhere Does he really just want to marry her so he can cut her up and leave her chained in his basement? I mean, it's sick. It seems like something the Joker would do, but it doesn't really make sense in the scheme of the story. The dialogue seems at odds with the action, saying that she's in control, uh, she's over everything, everything's in the past, and she can take the thugs, but she really doesn't seem to prove that until the very end when she really unleashes, well, hell. James coming in and helping with little quotes is not very surprising but I'm surprised by what he offers the Joker. It seemed reasonable that he was going to help Babs in order to have, have her or kill her himself, but instead he gives her to Joker in return for his mother. Why does he have such a desire to help or have his mother? Is it to kill her or to save her? That's really confusing. Why does he want to save Babs if in the end he never actually wanted to save Babs? Doesn't really make sense. I think Babs never should have let her guard down and trusted James. She knows better than that. She should have known from all the craziness (laughs) uh, that she encountered with him and knowing your brother hopefully better than that. Uh, So that was sort of dumb on her part, but I guess that she's desperate. She's going to grasp onto whatever she can. Batgirl drops the kid gloves. She really goes to work showing no mercy and really almost on the edge of killing Joker. And we've seen this a couple times, especially with, uh, if you've read Batman Hush and Death in the Family uh, way back in the 80s there. But where was this the whole series, and why now? And apparently she's more frightening than Joker himself, since the priest is scared of her. So again, I'm just wondering about this characterization of Batgirl that we see pulled out. And what does that show? Uh, That's something that happens to Batman all the time, that kids often are are more frightened of him than of the actual villain, uh, even though he is a good guy. And so now we've got this sort of characterization being weighed upon Batgirl, where she's the good guy, and she's supposed to be a more colorful character like Robin and be more uplifting and and have maybe little kids trust her but now we've got this priestess holy man frightened of her actions and what does that say about her as a character and how she's being put across does it seem realistic that she nearly loses control of herself and kills the Joker? Perhaps. I mean, we've seen, like I said, this happened to Batman before, and I think if there's anyone to put her over the edge, it would certainly be Joker. But it seems like it's happened each issue in this particular uh, saga that we've seen. I mean, she did it at the roller rink and everything. And I mean, once it's, it's done once, I feel like it's done several times, and I think it loses its impact every subsequent time that it actually happens. It's not really the best way to wrap up this arc. The entire story has been wacky, and this really is no different. It, it's leaving more questions unanswered, and Batgirl all of a sudden seems like a beast, and I'm just wondering when that happened. Did she pop some, some roids? Did she soup up right before she went into this fight? Who knows? Um, six out of ten bats. Next up, we have Birds of Prey, number 16, Lights Out. Writer Dwayne Straczynski, penciler Romano Molinar, inker Vicente Sefuentes, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. This issue picks up right where the previous ended, with the birds discussing the new member right in front of her. Well, that's great. Evan and Dinah have obvious problems with the choice, but Batgirl defends Sticks, a.k.a. Mary, who knows when she got that name, and says there is more to the story. But before she can explain, Condor comes out of Literally nowhere and tackles Strix. This sets Strix off and she is ready to attack. As background and Dinah try to calm her down, Starling tackles Condor off the building, where have we seen that before? We flash back and see how Mary got her code name. Oh hey. Canary takes a couple hits and backroll decides to step in and just talk to Mary, which actually ends up helping. Starling takes Condor down by jacking up his flight pack and dropping them both through the roof. After recovering, Condor explains that he attacked the Talon because he thought the birds were in trouble. He also says that he got some intel about a certain basilisk tech dealer that Dino once busted. Later, the newly formed team, now consisting of Black Canary, Batgirl, Starling, Strix, and Condor go off to intercept the deal this time, the device can steal power straight from the grid or disrupt it entirely, holding a city hostage. Dinah reminds the team not to kill anyone, Starling annoys Strix with her talking and bad jokes, and Condor makes with the failed flirting male stuff. The goal is to take out the hired muscle as quietly as possible before anyone can reach for a walkie talkie. Strix takes the lead on this, is maybe a tad too forceful, and has to be calmed down by Batgirl. The team next has to break into the place, and Starling is having difficulty with it, so Canary decides to cry the door down, and everyone uh, go in super fast. Unfortunately, she gets an all-too-familiar headache, and her Canary cry explodes, taking part of the city with her and turning off the lights. Next up, Hunted in the Dark. So there was a lot of meat to the Talon story, which I think is both good and bad. It's good because uh, Swarzynski takes the time to get us acclimated with the new roster, but then the ending, you know, with all the action is just really rushed. And you have to wonder if he took a great time with Talon and Condor so that we would better accept them into the mix. Um, So it works out, but then the ending just seems... Like, whew, it's over in a millisecond, so perhaps you should have just had this uh, sort of interstitial issue and really got to know the team and then had some sort of cliffhanger that led us into this mission, but not ended in this way. I find Dinah's comments about including Talon hypocritical, since she was the one who brought Poison Ivy into the game, and once again we see Dinah say no killing, so hey, we'll see how long that keeps seems like a very contrived way to bring Condor into the mix. I'm actually pretty surprised to see him again since I figured we left him in Japan with Katana, but here he is. I don't believe that he would know enough about the Talons to perceive a threat from Strix. I mean, where was he when all of that was going down? I assume he was in Japan. And I think it's a little dramatic that he just goes to fight her right away, thinking she's attacking the birds even though they're just standing there in no like attack uh, formation or anything. So, okay, that's a little presumptuous. I'm glad a previous storyline is brought up, uh, though not really one of the ones that really need to be resolved. But I don't believe that Condor would know that Dinah had such a connection to the case. That's a stretch. I mean, is he stalking them? Facebook stalking? Condor's going on researching Dinah and then see, oh, a status from several months ago was, well, I guess a couple years ago, is that she uh, intercepted a basilisk cell. I don't think that's happening, so I wonder how he knows such personal details. I'm also wondering how long Condor will last, and whether he's going to be a more enjoyable character than he is right now, because really he's making all the mandatory jokes and acting like a male, uh, but will it really serve a purpose? And if you've been following Batgirl to Oracle for the long haul, this is, you know, episode 56, if you remember Gil Simone's, I guess we could say, second run on Birds of Prey, I didn't really enjoy the Hawk character, uh, Dove certainly grew on me, but he was just like this jerk in a uniform and didn't really get along with the team and I wondered what the point was. So I hope that Condor, uh, I just hope he's not like that basically, not a waste of page and paper. Right now Strix seems to be doing well on the team. She's definitely you know the stealth member, which I think they need, but I'm curious as to what problems are going to arise with a talent on the team and one that doesn't even speak. Plus, where is she living (laughs) when she's not with the birds? It's not like Batgirl. We don't even know where Batgirl is living right now since she basically left her roommate, um, so she may be living in the streets, who know, but where, where's Mary living? Catwoman at one point said that she'd take her in, but then Catwoman left, so that seemed like it was up to Batgirl, so maybe a detail that I'd like to know. And again, we have Dinah's headache and a huge explosion of power, and this is about the third time that it's happened, and nothing has been explained, so I hope that some resolution happens here. And how did the bird survive <laughs> if there's that huge chunk in the city? A little, uh, little interesting. So, you know, an okay issue. Uh, it definitely seems more filler than and transition than really important. Yes, it brings up a past storyline, but I have to wonder with Swarzynski leaving this book soon, uh, what's going to happen and whether we're going to fill in any info from, especially Choke. I mean, are we going to learn anything about that or the, that weird mix of, of people that attack dinosaurs? and Dinah's husband and I don't know there's so much stuff that we need to wrap up and now the author that started all that is leaving so that's frustrating but I give this 7 out of 10 birds so certainly not the best well our next segment is Babs in the Tube And remember, this is the segment where I examine an individual appearance, of Barbara Gordon and the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently, uh, I, and now we, are watching the 1966 Batman TV series, and we are wrapping up. We're we're getting to the end. Uh, This is episode 115. It was season 3, episode 21, The Great Escape, part 1. And it aired February 1st, 1968. Starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Bert Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin. Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon. Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara. Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth. And, of course, Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Woo-hoo! Yes. Guest starring Cliff Robertson as Shame. And remember, Cliff Robertson will be Uncle Ben in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Uh, Hermione, or Hermione, oh dear, Baddeley as Frontier Fanny. Dina Merrill as Calamity Jan, who apparently, after this aired, married Cliff Robertson. So that was interesting. Barry Denon as Fred. Brian Sullivan as Fortissimo Fra Diavo. And Dorothy Kirsten as Leonora Satovoche. Okay, here we go. Hold on to your hats, people. Uh, That conniving cowboy of crime, Shame breaks jail with the trusty aid of his fiancée, Calamity Jan, and her mother, Frontier Fanny, in a Sherman tank. At police headquarters, I know, the Batman and Robin get a message from Shame announcing his plans to seal a rock and roll from the Gotham City stage. While the Cape Crusader and the Boy Wonder race back to the back cave to consult the back computer, Shame hides out at Gotham City Central Park Stables, where he is introduced to the members of his new posse. Standing Pat, a giant Indian who converses and signals, chewed by a cigar, and Fernando Ricardo Enrique Dominiquez, Fred for short because those are the initials of his names, a Mexican with a British accent. Meanwhile... The, the dynamic duo solves the meaning of the rock and the roll. The rock refers to a diamond and the roll is really a bankroll, but they are summed as to what is meant by the Gotham City stage. Batgirl divines the meaning, however, and she notifies, notifies Batman via the red bat phone in Gordon's office and arranges to rendezvous with the dynamic duo at downtown street. Shame and his posse arrive at the Gotham City Opera House, the stage where they snatch a diamond pendant, the rock and a 20,000 bank roll the roll from singers Leonora Sotovoce and Fortissimo Fra Diablo. The dynamic trio arrive in time to catch them in the act and give shame and his crooked cowboys a good fist beating until Fanny and Jan spritz them with a whiff of fear gas, because apparently Scarecrow doesn't exist back then. The three cower in fear, giving Shame enough room to kidnap Batgirl and Scram. At the Back Cave, Alfred neutralizes the fear gas's after effects with bat antidote powder. While the Cape Crusader traces the crooked cowboy to his hideout, Fred and Standing Pat return with then a settling torch and a diamond drill. While Shame and his gang leave the stable with Backroll, a horseshoe drops from the doorframe onto Frontier Fanny's head, knocking her out and leaving her as fair game for the arriving dynamic duo. Reviving, Fanny warns that Backroll's a goner if anything should happen to her, and of course to be continued in part two, The Great Train Robbery. Oh, uh, and unfortunately, you know, TV.com, which I very much thank for these uh, episode summaries, leave everything out about the uh, <laughs> the great, I need to have a chaperone with me and the fondue. Yeah. Of the thing. <laughs> so that's unfortunate, because I really, I suggest that listeners watch this wacky, wacky uh, episode. What are your uh, <laughs> thoughts on this?
3: I was... <laughs> This is going to sound really weird. I was shocked at how violent and sexually charged the first part of this episode was. Because really and truly, one, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, shame and, and Calamity Jan kissing through the cell. It's just basically she says, when she basically says in 60s, you know, family television speak, when we get home, I'm going to jump your bones. Oh, dear. And then he throws a horseshoe... And hits two guards in the face, (laughs) and basically threatens to kill everybody, and breaks out with a Sherman tank, which they say has a lot of horsepower, but is very, very slow. So it's just, it's like the weird just starts, and it really doesn't stop. And then we get to, (laughs) you have the most awkward date ever, where you have Barbara Gordon, Bruce Wayne, and her dad all sitting there together eating fondue. And in my favorite line of the episode is, you know, they get the they, you know, it gets the, the call that something happens, so he goes to call Batman. At the Batcave they have this really they basically have sampled Batman saying certain things so that they can play it back to Commissioner Gordon if Batman's not available, which is kind of awesome. So then <laughs> Commissioner Gordon goes to leave and Bruce Wayne Stands up and says, well, it really wouldn't be proper if I stayed here without a chaperone. So I'm going to leave, too. And instead of saying, come on, Bruce, it's the 60s. You know, we can be in in this apartment alone together. You know, stop, you know, fronting for my dad. She says, and I quote, what about my fondue? It's
2: brilliant. Yeah, she does also call herself a spinster. She says something like, when, what other time can a spinster make food or dinner for a bachelor?
3: You know, actually, I saw that as really them being playful with each other. That's I probably
2: true, was, but that's just a sad, like, <laughs> characterization of her that all she's worried about is her fondue.
3: Well, she's trying to cover for the fact that she needs to go change into Batgirl. <laughs> I did not... I have not seen, like, the third season episodes in a long, 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 long time. I did not realize how hard they were pushing for Bruce and Barbara to have a relationship together. But it seems like th- that's the thing. So is that weird for you?
2: Um. So this is... There was a date, or they were supposed to go to a date. I think it was, like, at an opera house or something. Oh, it was with the violin! Um, but there hasn't been much going on... Until this, like this... Oh, I guess she was invited to a beach house, which I thought was also weird. Is that weird for me? See, this is tough because I gave up shipping for Lent, so I can't really talk about it explicitly, <laughs> you realize. Um, it's a little weird, yes, because, um, you know, I'm, I am I enjoy uh, Dick and Babs, but I think in terms of where the show was at that point, and if we were at that time period and we wouldn't have any other knowledge of what was going on in the comics or anything, then I think it would be reasonable because you have this eligible bachelor and you have a smart and capable young woman that could potentially be uh, paired off. But since I think we look at it now and and we can't really filter out all those lenses, it is really awkward. But I think back then it probably would have been fine. Do you agree with that?
3: Yeah. And I think that's probably why it was okay when later on, like in Batman Beyond, it was revealed that Barbara and Bruce had a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then you have all that awkwardness of the mystery of the Batwoman movie. Where Barbara's main function is to call Bruce and, and be really desperate. Uh, you know, that it makes more sense now. Because the people that produce those movies would be probably more influenced by this than anything else as far as Batman is concerned.
2: Hmm. Unless you count Thrill with, Killer. Well, yeah, but up? Thrill
3: Killer was in Elseworlds, so yeah. that's kind of that's kind of different in and of itself. Um, I actually have no problem—not not that I'm a big shipper, one way or the other—but uh, I don't—I don't really have a problem with it being Bruce and Babs because Babs always struck me as being older than Dick, anyways. Uh, just in, in just in terms of where she was in her mm-hmm. life, I mean, I mean, she yeah. was a she was a uh, you know a college graduate and, you know, apparently high muckety-muck libra- librarian when we first meet her, and you don't get that right out of college, so I, I just always thought that she was a little old for, at the time, not now, obviously, because uh, now it, it, it works better that she's younger, so, uh, and I recently just read Batgirl number zero, and I, I kind of liked it, so, strangely enough, wasn't expecting to, just kind of yeah. happened
2: well I'm looking forward to see what happens in uh the great train robbery but we should also say that with that awkward date um, and the sexual innuendo you've got sort of this uh, really old-fashioned woman um, that you would definitely see in like Jane Austen novels where you need a chaperone and so if Jim Gordon is a chaperone over there then you've got um, frontier Fanny as a chaperone uh, between sure. J- Jan and shame
3: yeah and and she made me laugh throughout the entire uh, entire episode just because she was so it's like shame wasn't good enough for her daughter and I kind of appreciated that that she was being protective and all that. that was just kind of funny the um the whole thing at the end though, with uh, Batman and Robin getting hit with fear gas, I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird because now I you know we so closely associate fear gas with scarecrow.
2: yeah, I agree.
3: And uh, it was—I I do have to admit that it was just really funny to hear Batman and Robin not only going take the girl, yeah, don't take us, but when Alfred's trying to cure them, they're all paranoid in the Batcave. <laughs> it's like you're trying to kill us, aren't you? It was just funny. I was just laughing throughout the the whole the whole episode was just hysterical. My only my only continuity nibble or quibble, not nibble, that's weird. <laughs> it's late, I apologize. Um, is in the pre credit sequence, which seemed to last forever this episode for some reason. It took them a really long time to get to the opening credits. The, you know, you see Robin in the Batcave with Alfred. But then after the credits, you see Batman and Robin both coming down the Batpoles in costume and running to the Batmobile. But Robin was already in his costume. So did he go upstairs, hang around in the Wayne Manor in, in his Robin outfit, and then wait for Bruce to get... Wouldn't he have just waited in the cave? Or maybe I'm overthinking this.
2: Um, I, I have no idea. I, I think that may this. just... Well, no, that may just be a mistake. Or people didn't think it enough.
3: Uh, it was probably that they had stock footage of Batman and Robin coming down the bat poles and that's what they used it so
2: and then there was like a weird close-up i don't know if it was just you or or just me i mean but like a weird close-up of like the the belt and the lower half of them when they were sitting in the car it's just like what but well i mean i don't think you could really see like their heads it was just like everything else i thought that was a little strange
3: it is kind of strange
2: but um maybe that was just me (laughs) Uh, it, it was, it was pretty interesting. I do agree that it was pretty sexually charged. I mean, Jan was like on top of that guy once they all, once their, uh, their posse left. And then the mother came in and said, excuse me, you need to be two feet away from her. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what did you think of the British-Mexican and the horrible, horrible Indian stereotype?
2: Yeah. Um, I do. The British-Mexican, I was not expecting that at all. I thought it was kind of clever that he had four names and then they just called him Fred because it was the, uh, the abbreviation of those names. I thought but, that was funny. Yeah, but then when he started talking in a British accent, I'm like, wait, what? I had a double take. Yeah, the horrible. Yeah. yeah
3: that, the, that was just I mean it it, it it it's not to be taken seriously. So no. you know, obviously, you know, obviously you can't sit there and, and 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 criticize them too. I mean, okay, maybe maybe you can, but I mean, what would be the point? I mean, it was a show, it was a goofy kids show based ostensibly mm-hmm. in the 60s where the adults were having fun uh, and doing weird things just just so they can um I guess keep their sanity doing this ridiculous, ridiculous show, and by this point they really were kind of they were at the end of the line, essentially. You know, they, they yeah. really uh, you know the the show you know the show wasn't doing well. It's why they brought back Earl into the mix in the first place. So maybe they were just throwing everything against the uh, everything against the wall and seeing what stuck.
2: Yeah. So we'll see what happens with Batgirl returning in the next. Uh, do you think you'll watch it now? Even
3: I'll, th- I'll have to, to see what, I, Yeah, you know, because how could you leave with such a? I mean, what? Ha- I, I mean, I'm pretty sure Batgirl's gonna make it.
2: Well, yeah. Let's hope so.
3: But you know, because <laughs> that would have been pretty daring. And uh, yes, it yeah. <laughs> in 1968, to have <laughs> to have Batgirl killed on screen. Uh, no, but it was fun. I'd actually give that one an eight just because it was that entertaining.
2: Yeah, I probably agree with you there. You know, they don't collect these uh, episodes on DVD. Not Do you yet. think not yet? So you're hopeful that they will at one point?
3: Yeah, they're going to get those rights sorted out at some point. And okay. that's really what's holding it up is the fact that, you know, Fox says they own the show, Warner Brothers is like, but Batman's our character, mm-hmm. and you know, they they they're just basically it, it's it, it's it's one of those old Hollywood things where they're just fighting over who's going to get paid and what and what they're going to be paid. So, you know, at some point these will come out. The sad part is That the longer that they wait to do that, the less likely the original cast members, uh, especially Batman and Robin, are going to be around to do any kind of extras. Yeah. Or anything like that. Because, you know, Adam West was in his 30s when he did this show. And the show is nearly 50 years old. Uh, Though I will say this, it was very, very bizarre at Dragon Con this year. Uh, My wife and I were at uh, Trader Vic's, which is a restaurant in one of the hotels, uh, famous for their Mai Tais. And boy, were they weapons-grade this year. (laughs) Um, And I'm walking down one of the hallways to Trader Vic's. We're trying to find our friends. And who passes me but Burt Ward. Wow. Like, two feet away from me. And I grab my wife and go, Rachel! And she's like, what? Because she thinks something's wrong. And this was the weird part of it. I'm pretty good at meeting celebrities. I either don't say anything or at all, or I'll just say something brief. I try not to get tongue-tied, and I try not to get star starstruck. But there was something about seeing Robin, you know, who was so important to me as a kid and really stuck with me, you know, all through my life. Just, you know, five feet away from me. And by the way, we're the exact same height. That kind of weirded me out, too, because it always seemed like he should be larger than life. But no, we're, we're both very short men. So, uh, but yeah, he, it was just really weird seeing Burt Ward right in front of you. I, I, I really can't describe it beyond that. It was just, it was just so strange.
2: Did you get to talk to him?
3: No, because I don't bug them when they're not behind a table. Gotcha. Uh, because they're, they're, that's their off time, you know they don't need me coming up to them and going hey, you were Robin because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they get enough of that and he seemed to be looking for somebody and I probably would have scared the hell out of him <laughs> so uh, I mean, it's it's not like the time you know, Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner came out of the hotel room next to mine and, and I got really tongue-tied because there was Data and Riker just right there but oh still. gosh that was a very weird tangent. I apologize. No, that's,
2: that's a cool story for sure. Yeah, that's happened to me a couple times. The, guy, the little kid who plays Brick on, um, what is that called? It's not, oh, there are two family shows that are on TV and it's not, is it in the middle? I mitt. think
3: so. I don't. I don't really watch. Yeah, the my TV, parents so. watch
2: it, and so I texted them right away. He had this like huge, like Michael Clark Duncan-sized uh, bodyguard with him, which is <laughs> very funny. But yeah, he walked right past me on the uh, the convention floor, and uh, like Elijah Wood walked past me upstairs in the in the hall uh, when I was going to some place. So yeah, that is kind of. It's fun to see them. You kind of wish you could sort of talk to them, uh, have an actual conversation, but I'm like you. I just sort of let them be just like anyone else, basically. Do you have a literature recommendation? Whether, I mean, I've been doing comics recently, so if you have any comics that you would recommend.
3: Um, actually, yeah. Uh, I, I've recently kind of gotten more on board with the new 52. Uh, I don't know if it's just I miss following a universe or maybe I've just you know accepted that this is a new reality and I can just kind of you know move on with life. But I'd had a bunch of books piled up that I've bought and just kind of sat in a corner. And I re- I finally got to read Night of the Owls, which was the big bat crossover from last year, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I cannot well, the the hardcover just came out. I think. Uh, as as the time of this recording. And I was very impressed with how that story played out, because not only was the main story good, but the crossovers were almost just as good, except for two instances, which is the Dark Knight and the Catwoman. Those really didn't you know, do a whole lot for me. But it just seemed like that was a really well put together story, and, and that would be my recommendation.
2: Very cool. Um, I do have to say that that I, I appreciated that Batman crossover more than I did Death of the Family. And I know that you're currently um, reading that, so I'm not going to spoil anything. Batman 17 just came out, which wrapped it all up. And uh, for me, it was a, a big letdown down with what happened. But again, I, I won't spoil. So Night of the Owls, I definitely I, I second that. And just like the craziness and, and seeing Bruce really like psychologically... Man, thrown against the wall and that mm-hmm. labyrinth and everything, that was just, that was insane. But it was a good, and, and to think of how long that Night of the Owls really lasted. I mean, it, it seemed like it yeah, lasted. From
3: the from the beginning with the Court yeah. of Owls, which yep. was a great story in and of itself. And then to kind of throw that into the larger Batman universe, it was, it's pretty much the textbook way you need to do that kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty big. I think it was bold to, to come out of the gates for New 52 for Snyder to to do such a big story, but I think that he pulled it off. Um, I'm going to recommend something that a friend of mine gave uh, me two trades for my birthday and then a trade for Christmas, and I just started reading it maybe... Jan. Well, I guess the beginning of this month or so, or the end of January, and it's why the last man. <laughs> I know I'm like really behind the times here, uh, but I've been trying to get out of. Um, well, I'm still reading, you know, DC and Marvel, and but I've also been trying to get more into indie books and and just support those writers. So last month I recommended uh, "Astonishing Wolf Man," which was an image book by uh, Kirkman, and so this is by Brian K. Vaughn who many people may know him as a, a screenwriter for Lost, and then art by Pia Guerra. I know it changes as it goes on. But basically, uh, there's this. Have you read this before?
3: No, I, I am one of the five people on planet Earth that has never read Well, I was uh, with Why the there. Last Man.
2: I was with you. So all you need is someone to buy you some trays to get you in there. Uh, but basically, it's this plague that randomly happens. Who knows? I, I'm not far enough. I, I think I'm an issue... Well, I'll start the fourth trade, so that should give you some thought. It's probably like issue 16, uh, but a plague happens, it kills all of the men except for our our main character Yorick and uh, his his male monkey that he's got a pet, and basically it's well they they travel he. He goes to Washington, meets up with his mom, and then his mom tells him he needs to go to a certain place. Uh, they need to get some notes for a doctor, and then there are all these sorts of things. His sister, whose name is Hero, and apparently York and Hero are big Shakes—well, they're minor Shakespearean characters. Uh, Yorick was the skull that Hamlet talks to, if in case you're wondering. But she's with these crazy Amazons who actually cut off a breast, just like you know an actual Amazon does. Um, but they're, they basically want to rid the world of of all men, so they 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 get a whiff of there's a man around, and so they try to attack him. Uh, but I'm not probably doing a, a good job explaining it, but it's actually very suspenseful, and I really enjoy the characters, and I can really. I don't know. I got into it really quickly. I wasn't sure. There is some language. I'm sure there will be some sexual situations coming up soon. So (laughs) uh, maybe not for the uh, younger kids, but but I I, I recommend it, and I think there's a reason why a lot of people recommend this book. So definitely give it a shot. And I think probably you can – oh, you can on – I'm trying to think if it's Comicsology or Image Comics, may have the first issue for free uh, to just read digitally because I actually read the first issue, I think, of this and then of Astonishing Wolfman as well. And it doesn't do it justice because I think you need to read more than one to really understand where a comic is going to go and, and get a feel for it. But uh, just if, you want, if you're interested in checking it out. So why The Last Man? Okay. Well, Michael, do you want to shout out some... Uh, info where people can follow you either on Facebook or um, your different sites or people you're affiliated with?
3: Well, um, my main podcast is Views from the Long Box, which you can find at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com uh, It's a bi-weekly show uh, where normally I just kind of pick out a random book, like say maybe I did an episode about Identity Crisis with uh, Stella here. Uh, which was a uh, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I actually had a weird thought today about Brad Meltzer and decoded in that story. <laughs> uh, but uh, but right now I'm kind of celebrating the 75th anniversary of Superman as he is my favorite character. And, <laughs> you know, as, as a Superman fan, you kind of have to really embrace the times where it's socially acceptable for you to, to, to like the character. Because uh, sometimes it just doesn't really... He's not really thought of as, or is as popular as he should be it's not like being a Batman fan where it's pretty much always cool to be a Batman fan So, uh, also there is From Crisis to Crisis a Superman podcast uh, which you can find at both the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network supermanpodcastnetwork.com uh, that is me and my friend Jeffrey Taylor looking through the post-crisis adventures of Superman we have gotten through the death, we have had some scheduling difficulties over the past couple of months so, we're trying to get back on to, into the swing of things, but we're about to hit the 1994 books. Uh, so, which means somewhere down the line is Zero Hour. Yes, Ooh. love Zero Hour. Uh, there's a serious Babs appearance in Zero Hour. I also do Comics Monthly Monday and Back to the Bins over on Two True Freaks. Uh, that's Two uh, twotruefreaks.libson.com. And Bailey's Batman podcast.com is the home of that show again, not going to be coming out as regularly because I got a lot going on in my private life right now, which I'm not, um, uh, it's going to end up being good. So, (laughs) but right now things are just really, really busy. So I can't, I feel bad that I can't devote as much time to Bailey's Batman podcast as I was because there's a lot of Batman stuff to talk about uh, but I just uh, I just can't get to it as much as I would like to. But Donovan Morgan Grant, and I sat down for three hours to talk about the Nolan Batman trilogy and that should be coming out fairly soon uh, as soon as I can get off my lazy button and edit that. So that's pretty much it cool deal yeah
2: uh, donovan and i donovan is like a household name man everyone uses him apparently um but donovan and i we've started making this sort of uh shipper spotlight for february for you know valentine's day and so this month we did or this year we did robotech which do you know what robotech is
3: Yes, I've had 16 people in my life try to get me into Robotech, and it's never taken.
2: <laughs> okay, maybe you should talk to Donovan. Um, he'll try to use Min-May to convince you.
1: Lisa! Come back! I can't Wait. go!
2: What about me? Uh, but so we, we did that. So that was that was great fun. And also, I will have to say that we did... Um, uh, I got Dustin. I don't know how it happened. I, I told everyone else that I gave him a roofie. And he agreed that... He, there would be a shipper special over at TBU and it may sound like oh no is doing this so it's going to be wacky but it actually turned out really well because we just went through the year of all these relationships that the back characters have had both romantic and non-romantic because we have Batman and, and Damien and then the birds of prey those sorts of relationships uh, and so we talked about that we talked about um, we sort of compared relationships if if they happen pre-New 52 And I'm pretty proud of it. I think that it was just a great conversation. And then the intro was like the wackiest intro I think that Dustin will ever allow on a uh, a (laughs) podcast. So if anything, just listen to the introduction that I put together there. Uh, But... You know, thinking about Batman, uh, it would be great because this is far off probably for Road to Oracle. But something that I really want to do is when I get into No Man's Land, I want to have like a crossover with definitely the Batman universe where maybe like one episode where we have an arc or something like that. We, we come on Road to Oracle and then we put that out. And then, then there's like a special on TBU and that'd be like part two and a second arc. And that'd be awesome if we could get you in on that. Um, oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, that story. And I especially think of you now because you were uh, the one who graciously gave me your um, your old trades. And I devoured those in like two days. And I, and, I,
3: and I feel so bad about that now because just after I gave you those is when they started releasing <laughs> the new versions that had everything in it. Yeah. So I feel like I, I kind of screwed you over there. I, no, I mean,
2: I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed them. So I don't. Oh, so. Good. The ones that... So, what do they not include? What do the new ones include that...
3: There are specials and like little side stories that popped up during the course of No Man's Land that didn't necessarily impact heavily on the story. They're just more like character pieces. Uh, Because when when I first read it, it was the trades that I gave you. Mm -hmm. And then down the road, I bought... I filled out my Batman collection and read... Everything. Uh, Which was... That was when I was reading 20 years of Batman. Because literally uh, from 2003 to the beginning of 2005, I read through every Batman book from 1986 up until that point. Uh, Which was an amazing journey that I can never duplicate. Because going through that much Batman and seeing how the post-crisis Batman kind of evolved, when I got to No Man's Land... That was, like, my reward, because it was such a great story, and everything seemed to build towards it. So, no, just an amazing, amazing story.
2: Yeah, I agree. One of my favorite issues, and I can't think of what it is, uh, but—well, the number, uh, anyways—but it's just Batman and and Jim, and it's after Batman returned, and for, like, several pages— They're just, like, standing there, sort of looking at each other and, and, like, trying to figure out what to say to each other. And I just thought it was just really powerful. And they're not saying anything, but it was just such a a trying time for both of them.
3: I really got to get... Well, I've got to get you your Batgirl car. Oh, yeah. The one
2: you found at Kroger,
3: right? Yes. uh, (laughs) Paid a dollar for it. And so they had two. So I'm like, well, i got to get this for Stella. So but uh i'll have to send you the audio adaptation of that oh exciting well, well that be just because that scene is amazing really oh i look forward adaptation. to it then it really is like the whole thing is great it's uh have you ever read the novelization
2: i have not though i've heard uh, really good things about it
3: yeah that's actually what got me back into batman um back in 1999. It's by Greg Rocca, isn't it? Yes. Okay. And that's basically what graphic audio does is that they take the novel and they have a narrator and they have people doing the lines and they have music and all that. So basically they just adapted his novel and that's the version of No Man's Land you're going to get. So if you've never read the novel, um, it's probably, uh, it's not going to ruin anything for you. But there's two narrators for this, by the way. Two. There's the... The narrator Richard Rowan, uh, who nor- who's the director of the piece, and normally do- and also does Batman and Joker, uh, and Barbara Gordon.
2: Yep, I do remember. Yeah, so so that could be really cool to pull uh, Bailey's Batman podcast in there and just have like, because that would I'd, be, I, I, yeah.
3: I'd be up for that because because I was I was planning on next year. Once uh, I get past the Superman thing, to kind of get back to Bailey's Batman podcast, and maybe do some crossovers, like yeah. covering the crossovers mm-hmm. over there. So that should, uh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd be happy for. I'd be. Uh, I'd be more than willing to do that.
2: Yeah. Who knows? I wonder how long that'll be. I guess we could just do it and it would just be out of sequence for back row to oracle but i think that'd be great to pull some some batman sites together and just have like a crossover so we'll have to think about that and then hopefully robin year one we can do that they're resoliciting oh, no no i
3: have Yes, I saw that. They're putting both of them in a trade together.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if I should pull a Bailey and and get it, even though I have both of them already.
3: Pull a Bailey.
2: Well, because you remember when I asked, hey, I'll buy those uh, old Superman trades off of you. And because the new, like that omnibus almost, the the special Ultimate Edition, he said, actually, I like to have all the different editions.
3: Well, because I have an illness. (laughs) Oh. Okay. This this is not. This is not normal. This is, you know, human beings were not meant to do this, and and that's all I'm going to say about that.
2: I gotcha. I've actually considered getting. There's like this really awesome um, Spanish edition. I'm trying to think of like specific. I think there's like this particular city that pulled it out, but. I, even though it'd be in Spanish, I actually kind of want it because there's like a special sketchbook in the back uh, by Marcos Martin. And I thought, well, you know, I could learn Spanish by reading this somehow. So I don't know. Maybe I'll try to find it. I think you can only find it on eBay because I think I searched for it a couple times. But we'll see. So if you have the illness, I think I may too, you know. I think it, you know, I don't know if it's an illness. I think it's just a dedication and love towards our favorite characters.
3: Yeah. And that, I mean, I, I, I was all excited that a, uh, that a, uh uh they continued with the man of steel uh line of trades recently which it had been like five years since they released the last one uh and it's just reprinting all the post-crisis stuff and i you know i've had that stuff for years but just to have it in a trade paperback form i felt like i had to support that kind of thing
2: do you like trades better than issues you know
3: it's it's really funny um i love the feel of a single issue Mm -hmm. that sounds really strange but you know growing up that's what it was i really i prefer reading an entire story at once Mm -hmm. rather than a month-to-month thing
2: yeah i agree there
3: but i don't want to wait the yeah god like the six seven months now it takes because it used to be they used to kick these trades out pretty quick Mm -hmm. they're not doing that anymore and I don't know if they're not doing it anymore to give the print and digital versions a chance to kind of sell through a little bit before they put out the trades. But it's like The the Others, which was the second Aquaman storyline. Uh, I bought the first hardcover and I kind of wanted to read, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to know I'm going to want to read the second one. And that's not coming out till May. And I'm like, I can't wait till May to get that. So that's why I kind of let stuff pile up. I, I guess I'm a, a a trade paperback reader trapped in the body of a single-issue collector.
2: Yeah.
3: And he wants out.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, that it's really nice to to read stories uh, from start to finish collected in something really nice. And I've been reading something called Morning Glories that comes in an Image. And it is... Uh, well, it is wonderful, but it is very confusing and it's a convoluted plot and if you it, it comes like very sporadically because I feel like the last issue I've read came out in November and we're in February and I think one just came out and it's it's not the type of comic that you can read and then not read for three months and then pick it up again and remember what happened so oh There goes Mountain Dew uh, wait yours is Pepsi isn't it?
3: Actually, uh, I have the sexist drink of Dr. Pepperton.
2: Okay. Brad Douglas always popped open in the Mountain Dew. That's his thing. So I agree with you there. And I also wonder, you know, when I'm getting all these issues, because for whatever reason I have, I'm getting, like, all these X-Men titles because they all just, like, are amazing and, and they're really interesting. And I just think about, you know, I'm putting all these issues away. Am I going to read them again? So I, a, after a while... It usually takes, like, six months or a year. I start thinking about issues that I don't really want anymore, and then I'll sort of put a whole bunch on eBay and everything, but I'll keep the good ones. But it is tough, and, and I do have, like, all of Stephanie Brown's stuff in, in single issues, and then I have them in trades. So I think that just, you just got to do that for the the things that you love, but, but I agree with you there. It's just a tough thing. There's
3: also a certain level of convenience for a trade Mm paperback if you if you have a large comic collection, or even if you have a a, a decent comic collection, it's easier to walk over to the bookshelf. Yeah. And take the trade off if you just want to read like, you know, for example you were just talking about the Stephanie Brown, if you just wanted to read that first storyline, you don't necessarily want to go to the boxes and dig through them when you have the convenience. Plus Again, there is the supporting of your favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, in some cases, there are series that survive, basically, because the trades do well. So, I mean, and, you know, we've just recently had another slate of cancellations at DC. Yeah. Uh, and uh, And I'm wondering if maybe letting some of those series, like Firestorm, get a trade out there to see if that's going to do well maybe would have saved it yeah but but that series was kind of on the bubble anyways so
2: it's also frustrating because they first they put out the hardcover and then they did the soft cover and i hardcovers are wonderful but i think i'm i'm i tend to go for the cheaper (laughs) trade rather than the hardcover
3: well i i try not to pay full price yeah for the uh for the trade any for the hardcover anyways and there's something about a hardcover. It, 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 I feel like a snob, but it's just there's something about having the hardcover that 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 feel in your hands of uh, you know you know it's just I don't know it's nicer. If I have the mm-hmm. choice, I'll, I'll I'll go for the hardcover for aesthetic reasons. I guess is the best way to say that, which is a silly reason to decide to buy something. But
2: <laughs> no, I I definitely see where you're at. Well, I think we we got off on a tangent somehow, uh, but <laughs> since this was the wrap up, Bo, oh, there was a good discussion there. Um, well, thank you, thank you for coming on again. It was wonderful.
3: No, I appreciate you having me on. This is it's always fun. I love uh, love talking to you, and you know we don't get to do that no. as regularly as we used to yeah. since we both uh, kind of bailed on uh, on Spider Man, not on the people involved, yeah. just the comic itself. Yeah. So I just um, you know, I really appreciate you uh you having me on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was looking at my my Excel spreadsheet that nerdily has all of the appearances and I saw, uh-oh, there's uh there's some Superman stuff popping up, so of course you're the first person that came into Aww. my mind. So yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroad Oracle. And thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary for The Great Escape Part 1. Though, someone needs to edit that puppy and put the fondue on for sure. (laughs) Because, yeah, it's not complete without that.
3: Well, yeah. And, you know, I I do think it's inappropriate that you and I are podcasting together uh, without a chaperone. So I'm going to have to leave now.
2: But what about my fondue?
1: Grandma! I was listening to that! Grandma, I was listening to the radio! What happened? turned it off. That's what happened. What did you do that for? The man's got a good voice. I can hear what he's saying. I just don't like what he's saying. He's going to keep on saying the same thing all night.
0: I don't know what you're so riled up for tonight.